Welcome, welcome, welcome to your yurt for Sacramento Kings Hurt. This is the purple and black pill. <laughs> My name's Ty Foster. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying with these rhymes, man. It's really hard. It's really hard. That was funny. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that. That was funny. Hey, thanks. You know, we are back after a short all-star break of our own couple games to cover. It's all pretty pointless. As you know, you're a Kings fan. You know that winning or losing at this point is just more sand for the hourglass of life that is slowly ticking away from us. Yeah, if you're if you're only checking in on this episode to see what happened, we still stink. So you can turn it off now if, if that's all you wanted to hear. Great sales pitch and accurate. Uh, so we had Houston Thursday night, our first game back after the break. Big, big, big 125-105 win. Uh, just a thrill to beat a team for their 14th loss in a row. You know, this is a classic Kings thing that uh, even in a year when we go on a nine-game losing streak, which is like a very significant losing streak for a team that has been terrible for 15 years, we still are outdone even in our streaking almost immediately by a worse team that has been very good recently. That feels very uh, of a piece with my experience as a Kings fan. We can't even get the biggest losing streak of the season. Yeah, not not noteworthy in the sense that it's a bigger deal that other teams are losing more than us. <laughs> Not much of note in this game. Houston was without John Wall, PJ Tucker, Daniel House. Just lots of really ugly basketball all around. Uh, we got solid 33 minutes out of Corey Joseph. We'll get, we'll get to that in a minute. Moving on to Atlanta, we just got destroyed 106-121. Very much a familiar story in terms of us coming out with pretty decent energy, jumping out to a double-digit lead, and then just getting absolutely crushed in the middle two quarters. The breakdown of quarters is intense. First quarter, we won 33-22. You love to see it. Second quarter, 18-39. to Absolutely wrecked. Third quarter, lost 30-37. to So we're just completely out of the game at that point. In the fourth quarter, you know, we win by two, 25-23. But how is it that the same exact problems can keep manifesting over and over again? Atlanta is not to my mind, a significantly more talented team than us. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even really know what to say anymore about the nitty gritty. Like it's getting harder and harder to watch this team. <laughs> yeah, the the difference between like a lack of talent and a lack of preparation feels like it's starting to matter less and less as we get deeper into the season. It's just like it, we can't guard. We don't play defense. We give up 20 and 10 in the first half to a guy like Clint Capella, who's a good player, but you know, it's not Akeem Olajuwon, it's Clint Capella, and he's exceeding his scoring average in the first half alone. And, you know, it, it feels like they don't want to do the hard work to focus. Like as long as they are hitting their shots, they're flying around the court, they're having fun, that's fine. And as soon as the shots stop going down and the other team starts making theirs, they don't lock in and dig for something deeper within themselves they just fold like a picnic chair and this is uh what i meant when i said that i'm in a big hurry to get walton out of here not just because for me as a fan watching his teams is so brutal but also like i'm now starting to wonder like do our foundational building block pieces have what it takes to dig deep within themselves to find something anything in those situations like, at what point are we, like, corrupting, you know, the, the positives that we have with 
a guy who doesn't seem to be able to prepare them. You know, I don't know. I, I don't want to like get too far down that road because we've already, it's so well covered by us at this point, but I'm uh, disappointed that we won't be seeing the end of the Walton era this season, most likely. Yeah, I mean, separate from whether Luke Walton should or shouldn't be the coach, I, I do think that there's a conversation to be had about in the tanking era, how much do you lose from multiple rebuilds with the same player or players? You know, if your progress isn't linear, then it stops making sense. And that's got to be a problem for Deer and Fox, who has been around now long enough to see little peaks and valleys of improvement and then just outright ineptitude. So when that keeps happening, even a player who's, I think, mentally strong in Deer and Fox, I think he's a gamer and he is up for the challenge of being the guy that brings this team back to relevance. But it just chips away, right? Like you have done that before. You've told yourself that story and then gotten worse. So it, it's one thing for like Damian Lillard to say, I'm going to stay in Portland. We improved over time. They added a fringe all-star in McCollum. They've given him other pieces to to try to improve that team from a playoff team to a championship team and that progress is you know it's not perfect but it's at least a climb to the top of the mountain whereas with the guys on this team who've been around for more than one season it must feel like they're just kind of spinning in circles yeah i think that's really well put it does call to mind the situation that boogie was in when we were building around him and granted fox and boogie are very different and present very different pluses and minuses. And I'm with you. I think De'Aaron Fox has all of the tools. I think that under the right circumstances, if he's drafted by the right franchise, he's cruising right now. You know, he's he's developing in a in a perfectly linear way. But just these stops and starts and kind of the herky jerky nature of this franchise, kind of one step forward, two steps back. It just it's hard to get outside of sort of the the present circumstances and see it as possible to salvage. It, It it feels a little poisoned at the moment and i feel bad for fox because he's putting up crazy numbers like both of these games he had over 30 points seven rebounds six assists against atlanta nine assists against houston he's again producing like a star he's got his problems his true shooting is not great because his free throws are so bad and i i feel bad for him because it manifests you know like for us as fans it's hard not to look at this situation and try and find a scapegoat on the floor and if he's our best player and he's our you know highest paid player i guess it it falls to him and i I just i don't know that he deserves that but i'm not sure i guess (laughs) yeah whether he deserves it or not i'm just not sure what he can do differently you know like obviously be a better shooter but that's not a mental one day fix that's a years-long project and we should be in for it. You know, we signed him to a $150 million contract or whatever it is, knowing that he was only sort of okay at perimeter shooting. So it's tough to criticize him. If anything, I guess the defense is like, you got to find a way as the highest paid player and the franchise player to bring the defense together. But point guard is a tough position to do that from. Yeah, yeah. Poor Fox. I hope that he bears with us through all this, but I wouldn't blame him if he started getting a little itchy. But, you know, my hope is that management has a plan and has been communicative with our key components and sees something that we're not seeing. I mean, obviously they do, they must, but 
like there there has been a kind of a shockingly small amount of perceptible turmoil that has leaked out into the press and there hasn't been a ton of bad feeling it feels like which is sort of shocking considering how how poor the results have been and so maybe there's nothing to worry about on that level but i just i i fear that this is going down the same road it has in the past yeah anyway back to the games this is something that we've I've complained about in the past. This is something that people that I know who follow the Lakers complained about hugely about Walton is that his minutes and rotation are just like really, really hard to explain. There's like some kind of like weird dream logic to it or something. But um, a couple weeks ago, I was excited because it looked like we had Daquan Jeffries getting significant burn. And now he's, I guess, out of the rotation. He got 12 minutes against Houston. He got one minute against Atlanta. And I'm like, well... That guy plays a position that we need. He has size and he has athleticism. Like, did he mess up? Like, do we, what are we supposed to like hang our hat on as far as understanding our relationship with a prospect like that? Is Bagley on a minutes restriction still? Did they, like, has the medical staff communicated that? Because he cannot get above 23 minutes. And, you know, Corey Joseph, 33 minutes versus Houston, 17 versus Atlanta. That's a good sign, I guess, yeah. you know, that he's his minutes are being cut. But it's like it's just feels so arbitrary. Yeah, I don't think we can make any presumption that that will be a linear progression either. in Corey Joseph's minutes going down. I think that that's just the roller coaster ride that is the Luke Walton coaching experience. It doesn't make any sense to, to be giving 33 minutes to a guy. And, and that one, I think that Halliburton was on a minutes restriction. He played 24 or something in that game. but. Regardless, there, there's no reason to be playing Corey Joseph. If you're playing 30-plus minutes with Corey Joseph, 24 minutes with Halliburton, and 30-plus minutes with Fox, then you're giving one of those guys a lot of minutes at small forward, and there's just no reason to do that because you can cut Corey Joseph out of that rotation and only give him the five minutes that Fox can't be in the game, you know? What's wrong with just giving Daquan Jeffries those minutes or exactly whoever, like what, whatever, whatever decision it is. I don't need it to be Daquan Jeffries. I don't, I mean, I don't like have a horse in that race particularly. I like what I've seen out of Jeffries, but the the point isn't that it's him. The point is that like clearly Corey Joseph is not working and it's not just because he's playing poorly. It's like you said, it's not a positional advantage to have him out there that much. And Halliburton was clearly like they're, they're being very uh, cautious in bringing him back. And that's, I'm totally I'm totally fine with that. And I totally understand that. But it, it just it doesn't make sense to me not to get a little more size out there. The one uh, good thing about these last couple games is that at least we have a few of our like we have Jemias Ramsey and we have um, a few of our G League guys that are now part of the big team. So it'll be good, hopefully, to see them develop a little more as we stay in this stay mired in this, you know, kind of neither here nor there place developmentally. Yeah, we we I will say that we have seen every G League and two way player get a little bit of playing time, even if it's only you know ten minutes a game for a for a three or four game stretch. We saw Chimezi Metu earlier in the season. We saw some Kyle Guy games. We saw some Daquan Jeffries games in there, and and hopefully we'll see some Robert Woodard games when he's healthy again. And now that he's back from the G League, so. Hopefully these minutes and the lack of Daquan Jeffries is, is just in preparation for Robert Woodard to claim his crown. <laughs> God willing. Uh, zooming out a little bit uh, away from the nitty gritty and towards trade season. The thing that I've been thinking, I, I spent a lot of time this weekend on the trade machine 
trying my best to figure out something that would work for the Kings anywhere. And I was, I was shocked at how little I was able to come up with. So the question that I wanted to kind of open up is, what does this team actually need? And can the trade market provide it? Like, there's been a lot of smoke uh, about Harrison Barnes going to Boston. Like, it's so much so that it's starting to feel inevitable. I, of course, nothing ever is. But what do we actually get in that deal? What do we actually like? What what's actually out there in this trade market? I, I'm not convinced that we're going to be able to find much of anything. What do you think? Well, I guess I'd split it into two things. What do we expect to get for Harrison Barnes or Buddy Heald or anybody else that's on this roster? I agree, probably not much because the guys like Buddy Heald and Harrison Barnes, who are decent players, have long, big contracts, and so you kind of have to give back a little bit of value because each of those guys is owed like 60 plus million and then with Holmes he Rashawn Holmes is a good player on a very cheap contract and it's only for the rest of this year so that's nice but nobody's going to give up the farm in order to get a guy who they may not be able to resign in two months so I don't know what's going to be out there for them what I think they should be looking for are young players athletes at the forward and big spots so I think they need another center preferably a stretch five and I think they need a combo forward who can athletically get into passing lanes and bother people defensively and we don't have enough talent to give back to get a a guy who's both under 25 and and looks like a future hall of famer and so what we need to be doing is trying to find other teams under appreciated assets like when I look at the Celtics I'm interested in Robert Williams He's a defensive-minded big who isn't playing a huge amount of minutes because they've got a couple of other centers on the team that also don't stretch the floor and who are more veterans, and so they're trying to win now, so they're playing Tristan Thompson, and, you know, I think somebody like that, under 25, sort of a diamond in the rough, not a player that they used a top 10 pick on, so maybe somebody that they'd be willing to throw into a trade package. Absolutely. I I like the sound of that, but part of me is also like, I mean, Harrison Barnes is our starting three and, you know, plays 35 plus minutes a game and is theoretically capable. I mean, we know that he's capable of being a a championship contributor. Like, how do we match up our need and what Boston is able to provide? Because I was looking again at the at the trade machine a bunch and I was like, you know, does taking back Marcus Smart, who's a really good player, even benefit us? I don't think they're giving up Marcus Smart anyway. I don't think that's on the table. Right. You know, like they have that big trade exception. So maybe we're maybe we're just like taking back a couple of their prospects. And would they be willing to give up a first round pick? You know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, traditionally, Danny Ainge has a reputation for being uh, extremely greedy about giving away anything in trades and and trying to not just win every trade, but make it completely lopsided. Yeah. And this is, you know, to your earlier point that what we could use is a stretch five and an athletic wing. Well, like us and, you know, 29 other teams. (laughs) For sure. Yeah, it's it's definitely not a very likely outcome. I, I think that Kings fans should probably accept that there's a very real world where we don't really move away from anybody on this roster and we have to sit on both Buddy and Harrison's contracts for another year and try to move them at the next deadline or this offseason. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying, actually. That's that's sort of what occurred to me as I was sitting around trying to dream up trade scenarios is I was like, you know, as likely as not, I think we're just going to have to stand pat and deal with the buyout market. 
or, you know, become the buyout market. Speaking of which, something that I've noticed, uh, which is really interesting and, and indicative of kind of the strange times that we're in, not just basketball wise, but in general, is this new phenomenon of players who are like about to be traded or who they're working on a trade package for just like sitting out and everyone being totally cool with it. And they're not appearing to be any like acrimony. Like this happened with Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond, PJ Tucker, Trevor Ariza, LaMarcus Aldridge. It's like a lot of, of players and they're all pretty much over the hill. You know, they're, they're like, kind of more ideally suited possibly for the buyout market but these teams obviously are trying to recover like something anything and i I don't i don't really like have a take on this other than it's really fascinating to track the fact that apparently executives now are sort of more interested in creating a harmonious situation on the way out rather than like flexing their power muscles and trying to discipline these guys into coming around and doing things their way I don't know totally what to make of that, but it's it's an interesting thing to note, I think. Yeah, I mean, I wonder how much of it is player leverage and how much of it is mutual agreement and the realization that fans can handle. Fans are smart enough in 2021 to realize that sometimes you're better off not playing your best players or not keeping your best players because if you're bad even with them, then you might as well tank. So I think there's just more kind of cultural acceptance of that as a acceptable outcome. And it's an interesting thing. I saw somebody online arguing that we should be doing that same thing with Harrison Barnes. And I was like, eh, I don't know. You know, he's got a lot of years left on his contract, like sort of weird to be shutting down a guy who you think has value to other teams. But they made the point that we saw it with Rudy Gay, where we saw the worst case scenario. Rudy Gay was considered to be a trade asset at the end of his contract with the Kings. He had already announced that he wasn't going to pick up the last year of his of his option, and the Kings didn't sit him, and they hadn't traded him yet, and then he blew out his knee, and he became instantly untradeable. You can't trade a guy who's going to be injured for the rest of the season and then going to be a free agent at the end of the season, because why would a team give up assets for a player that they can just sign in the offseason? So we've seen how dangerous it can be continuing to play guys that aren't in your long-term future and who are hopefully assets that you can get something back for. I didn't even consider that the Kings should do that with Barnes, not only because he's like such a critical component that we can't replace uh, on the court, but also he's just such a big part of the culture. It seems, again, it's, it's hard not to conceive of that sort of action as like punitive, you know? And so watching all of these teams kind of just make make like a very casual announcement. I think it also speaks to the fact that COVID has just put everybody into a completely different mindset about all this stuff, you know, and like, there's a very valid kind of excuse this year and last year, that we all sort of see that this is I I don't know if this is going to make sense, but we all sort of see that this is like a game (laughs) a little bit more than maybe we did before. It's like, there's an understanding that like, Maybe sitting out instead of pretending to uh, carry on, you know, and be a t- like the good soldier or whatever is just not a performance that's worth doing anymore uh, because we've all just kind of been exposed to a little bit of a different perspective through all this, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's COVID. And it's also, I think, for a lot of these players, probably Black Lives Matter and looking at the George Floyd stuff and just being like, why do I need to pretend that I should be looking out for anybody's best interest but my own? 
yeah and i think that it also is sort of sneaking into the discourse on the kings too with the amic report that you probably saw about this being quote gap year you know that's a euphemism for we know we're gonna lose but it also i think is an acknowledgement of the fact that this was always kind of a weird lost season for the whole nba and and particularly for the teams that never stood a chance of winning anything significant like the kings it'll be very interesting to see just how how things settle down next year you know once fans are back in the arenas and and things are, have kind of returned to somewhat of a sense of normalcy because yeah, it's it's hard to track as you're going through it how much things have changed, not just in terms of the on-court product, but more importantly, kind of to your point, like not just with COVID, but with Black Lives Matter and with just everything that the country and the world has gone through. It affects people personally, and it just it changes the way that we view our relationship to our jobs. And, and that applies to these guys who are doing this crazy job as well. And I, I just think it's a, it, it's a really interesting, I'm always very interested in those kinds of uh, cultural shifts as they're taking place within the NBA. Definitely. Well, I think that's about it for us today. We are going to have a quick little March Madness preview uh, to acquaint you with the players that we need to be watching for, because uh, I think we would all be wise as Kings fans to be watching the NCAA tournament at least as closely as we're watching the Kings because they are giving us very little to uh, grasp onto at the moment. <laughs> yeah, for sure. This is the every Kings fan favorite part of the season, not because we're gearing up for the playoffs, but because we're gearing up for the draft months and months in advance since we know that that's all we have to look forward to. So we'll we'll give you a little preview of basically the guys that are consensus lottery picks. Uh, we're not experts, so it's not about making arguments about who's going to be the best player it's just about giving you the information on when you can check these players out and and make your own decisions about them looking forward to that thanks for joining us today and we will see you on thursday so long guys bye-bye